Welcome to the EIM Global Podcast, the place where we speak to experts from across education, academia, and industry, so we can contribute to the professional conversations happening in our community now. The discussions we have and insights shared by guests help develop our own thinking and work, and hopefully spark further dialogue for other educators too, as they reflect on their practice and the students they work with. Today's episode is a conversation with Helen Hibbert, Asia CEO for Impact International, focusing on Helen's work supporting organizational transformation and change leadership. Helen brings over 20 years of consulting experience across three continents to her current role. She is deeply committed to transforming organizations for the better through individual, team, and executive development. Helen started her career in fundraising in the UK before moving to New York in 1997 to join marketing agency RAPP. She went on in 2006 to become Managing Director and subsequently led the company through a period of rapid digital transformation and growth. She has since transitioned to a new path, helping others succeed in their chosen pathways and avoiding all the mistakes she has made on her own leadership journey. Helen moved to Singapore in 2011, to Shanghai in 2014, and subsequently to Tokyo in 2020, with her work ultimately culminating in her current post as Asia CEO. Helen is also a former Dulwich parent. We get to talk about Helen's observations on change and the accelerating pace of it in the world today, the need for leaders to be truly authentic in their beliefs about the why of any change they lead, and the importance of change feeling personal as well as the risks posed by the digerati. So for all that and more, let's jump into this episode right now. Helen Hibbert. Good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Hello, Crispian. Where are you uh, talking to us from this morning, Helen? I am calling in from rainy Tokyo. It is a rainy season here, so um, it's a good morning to be stuck inside talking to you. <laughs> Very nice. Well, we're, we're really excited to have you on the, uh, the EIM podcast, and thank you so much for, for giving us a little bit of your time this morning. No, oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Um, EIM is a very important organisation to me, so uh, anything I can do, I'm very glad to. That's great. I'm really interested in in digging in to your uh, your area of professional expertise, learning and development and, and change leadership in a moment. But for listeners that perhaps haven't come across you or, or Impact International, for whom you are head of Impact Asia, I believe, what was your professional journey like to the point that, that you're at now? <laughs> um, meandering might be the short answer. Um, <laughs> Well, let's see. I um, I suppose my first career was in advertising um, and uh, an early love, you know, the glamour or the rest of it, I confess. Um, so I started my career in the UK um, and then very quickly moved to New York. Um, my mother's American and my passport was burning a hole in my pocket. So off I went. And I had a quite quick rise to the corner office Um I, uh, I had that corner office on Madison Avenue before I was 35. Um, and I think it's fair to say I made a lot of mistakes in my leadership journey on the way, um, which was probably the reason why I've ended up where I've ended up. While I was running the, um, the advertising business, I, I led the, our own digital transformation, if you like, back in the, uh, in the early 2000s, um, when the industry was moving from traditional print media really into, uh, into digital. So that was a huge part of my job and, um, and of shaping really kind of who I am and my perspective on change. I think, you know, I had a fairly early midlife crisis shortly afterwards. Um, uh, two little kids who I barely saw, uh, a husband doing heroic things at home and uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> being neglected by me, shall we say. 
And I, I also realised I suddenly didn't really care what people bought. And actually what really interested me was um, the journey to management, to leadership, to doing something important and uh, helping others make less mistakes than I'd made along the way. So um, I was lucky enough to work for a really great CEO who indulged me through this crisis and said, well, Helen, what, what job would you like to do? Because, you know, I'm open. And so I said, right, well, I want to be your head of HR, which was, uh, you know, surprised him enormously. Um, but uh, it ended up being a brilliant move for me. And I was lucky to learn all about it in an industry that I was deeply familiar with, um, became qualified as an executive coach um, and ended up in a board position um, in the advertising industry as a result. And then um, started our our Asia journey, shall we say, um, you know, the, the travel bug bit as the kids were sort of getting nine and 10. We wanted them not to just have one geographical experience of the world. And uh, so we moved to Singapore and, uh, and then Shanghai. And um, my time in the advertising industry naturally came to an end. And uh, I'm very happy to say Impact, um, Impact International, the company I work for now, found me about seven years ago. Um, and it felt like it was uh, the job that was tailor made for me because it's client facing, something I've done in my whole career, but in a space that I am now deeply, deeply committed to. Such an interesting journey. And I think that it's one of the things we talk to a lot about with our students, I suppose, the kind of the rapidly changing world. And you and I were chatting about this before we actually jumped on the recording uh, today itself. But of course, what that means is that the skill sets that we need to navigate that change, of course, are also evolving quite quickly in some respects, I think. So I'm really interested in the work that, that you're doing with Impact International. I know that Impact International works across multiple sectors. But as you said at the beginning, you know, EIM and, and the education sector is something that you're also particularly interested in. So what is it that I suppose especially interests you or inspires you to, to bring that knowledge and expertise to the education sector and leaders that work across that? Well, I suppose there's an inevitability to it. My, my dad was a teacher, <laughs> so I was marinated in it from a, from a very young age. I think for me, it's the, um, you know, it's the real, the very potential for change that children and adults seeking change and learning embody. So that that is thrilling to me. You know, I really believe like learning is change and change is learning. It's, it's the same thing to me. Um, you know, if we're, um, you know, in the process of change, really all we're doing is learning to do different things or doing things differently. So um, they are one and the same. But, you know, in the education space, I think it's um, it's the, just a deep belief that each generation can improve on the next as well. And uh, so so that that grips me. I think it was interesting, uh, as you said a few moments ago, that you were actually leading in your advertising career that digital transformation, you know, as early as the kind of early 2000s. And I think sometimes it's it's easy for us to think very much in the present about, oh, digital transformation is a thing of today. And we hear about, you know, all the technologies that are around today, whether it's blockchain and AI, machine learning, et cetera, et cetera. But actually... It's a great reminder that those transformations in various ways have been happening actually for, for decades. You know, it's not a new idea that this change is happening. It keeps happening and new things keep requiring new changes. So an ongoing journey. One thing that we've been talking about 
quite a bit, I suppose, in, internally to our own organization is, is this distinction that some people make between change management and change leadership. I just wonder, you know, is that a, a distinction that, that you make and agree with? Do you think about that differently? Or would you accept that that is, that is something that is an important distinction to make and we should think about, therefore, whether we're talking about change leadership or management at any particular point in time? Oh, goodness. How long have you got, Crispian? Um, <laughs> about 25 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's a very meaty question. Um, and, you know, I, I should... Uh, unfair say, of me, perhaps. <laughs> I should say up front, I'm, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, not an academic. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a practitioner. And so um, management and leadership for me have always been very difficult to separate. I think, you know, in many ways, sometimes we can use the word leadership um, as a way to abdicate our management responsibilities. But my personal feeling is that management um, (laughs) is actually the hardest part of leadership. And that's why we do that. So it's an integral part of it. And I, I don't generally like to make, make the distinction, honestly. Um, otherwise, you give somebody permission to stand at the front of the room and just say what needs to be done instead of rolling up their sleeves, getting in there deeply and really understanding how the change will affect people, how, what, they're, what people are dealing with on a day-to-day basis and, um, and understanding the, the, the real effort that it will take to move in a new direction. I think that's a really insightful point, actually, born out of your own experience there. And, and I would say my own experience tallies with that. It's easy to make these distinctions sometimes, especially if you are working, you know, perhaps in an academic sphere and the rubber isn't hitting the road in, in terms of what, what you're actually doing, but quite right. The day-to-day reality of that can be a rather different experience, I think. So, yeah, I, yeah. I think you're you're absolutely uh, on on solid ground. You know, <laughs> at least pushing back on the on the neatness, anyway, of that distinction. I'm glad you are so in a way that because you know there is one one thing from my own experience that is a little bit different about the the leadership versus the management of stuff. So, you know, particularly with digital transformations, quite often what happens is that you get a group of people early in the transformation who are really, you know, the the digital gurus, if you like, the folks who are really pro-change. They're they're often new to the organisation, very excited by what's happening um, and, and, you know, can become ghettoised to a certain extent, talking to each other only. So while I think you know, leading change is very much about stating the what a lot. So it's what we're trying to do um, and, and making it personal for everybody, but I can come on to that later. Then what I learned is that the newcomers, the, the, the digerati, let's call them. Well, I like that. <laughs> the digerati, you can trust them on what needs to happen. But you must trust your heritage players, the people who really know the organisation on how it needs to happen and on the management piece of it and the implementation, because they're the ones who really understand the cultural complexity and um, and what makes the organisation as as brilliant as it already stands. So they'll find a way to engineer the way to the what but in a way that is congruent with the organization's um, culture and, and original reason for being. 
Uh, I mean, you've hit on so many points there. And again, in, in my own experience with the digital transformation that, that we're leading across uh, the EIM group of schools right now, D3, what you're saying is, is exactly what my experience, I think, is. And, and I, I would say, you know, I myself, sometimes I'm guilty of falling into the digitality <laughs> category. I'm going I'm to coin that. I like that. It's good. And, and you're, you're so, so right that that the congruence piece is crucial. Um, and it's just, and I'm very clear that, you know, coming into the organization, you know, relatively new in the last couple of years, without that that local knowledge, that understanding of, of how things are today, uh, we would not be where we are in terms of the journey that we're taking at all. And so, yeah, I think, I think you're spot on with that one. But just focusing a little bit on the education specific piece here for a moment. As I said, I know you work across multiple sectors. I'd be interested in, in any observations about what you think is either unique or perhaps meaningfully different uh, in terms of change leadership and management in education versus those other industries that, that you have experience in. Yeah. Um... And you can say nothing. <laughs> well, I mean, I was working up to that, actually. <laughs> Just probably in a slightly longer winded way. I think, you know, there's um, one of the differences is potentially the timeline for the effect of the change to be felt in the world. You know, in um, EIM is educating children. And by the time they are in CEO positions and driving change themselves, there are a couple of intervening decades, um, you know, possibly less and less, um, one might hope. But um, but I think there's a there's potentially a difference in timeline which might affect motivation of those um, leading or managing change because as I'm sure you know one of the hardest things is how long it takes it's always longer than you ever ever expect um, so so that was one reflection I had and and I suppose the other one is. Um, well, it's, it's a bit deep, but possibly the, the weight of responsibility in, uh, in moulding young minds or, or, or even older minds. You know, in many other change, change efforts, um, it's about capitalising on something in a marketplace, usually in order to make more money. But um, I feel like the, the educational space has just it's, just, it's just a different moral footing. Um, the place where we are finding it, um, it congruent with our other organisations is actually in the sustainability space. So that all of a sudden is becoming, you know, as a, a moral imperative in the same way as, as the moral responsibility of shaping young minds. But long story short, I think those are quite minor differences and leading, leading change anywhere um, to me is 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 very similar because all organizations are just groups of people in service to other groups of people and getting people to do different things to change if you like is is the universal <laughs> it's the universal challenge across everywhere so I think there's an there's an awful lot more in common than there is different. Fair enough. And, and perhaps reassuring in some ways, I think that, that that means the the learning, the knowledge, the experience that's been gleaned, you know, right the way across change experience and leadership, you know, 
regardless of whether it's the education sector or otherwise, can often be brought meaningfully to bear on change within that sector, as opposed to having to start again from a blank sheet of paper. Yeah. And the other way around, Crispin, like, you know, to me, uh, my exposure to to EIM and um, as a as an entrepreneurial organisation with just incredibly, you know, a, it just incredibly great results let's let's put it that way you know has has really challenged me as well to bring things back the other way i mean if i just think my recent experience through the pandemic we we had quite a parallel experience so um eim is a, is my client and um very few of our clients came with us on our journey from face to face education to virtual education Whereas EIM was going through exactly the same push a button day to night transformation that we had to effect. And so we we held hands and jumped off the cliff together and learned from each other. I, um, I make no bones about that. And I'm super grateful for it. You know, many of our many of our client organizations just stopped uh, cancelled contracts and stopped face to face work, um, whereas um, EIM said, well, we can't stop. Why should you? Yeah, I think it's, uh, first of all, I mean, a, a very fruitful and powerful partnership. So we've been very lucky to, to be working with, with you and Impact uh, throughout that journey, I think. But it also, and you make a really interesting point about the, the pandemic period and that sort of paradigm shift that, that some organizations certainly were, were forced to, to navigate. And it, it's also a, a great reminder, back to your earlier timeline point, of actually how fast change can happen when there's a necessity driving it. And that's not to say that change should always happen that fast or that it's appropriate. And, and there are costs, of course, associated with that. But wow, I mean, I'm, I'm in awe uh, every time I think about it, at the educators and, and those that work within the education system, having navigated the change quite so effectively, to be honest. And, and you're quite right, you know, earlier on, your point about the, the moral sort of imperative that underpins a lot of that, that, of course, was one of the drivers for it, you know, we needed yeah. to ensure that we were still able to, to work with and, and connect with um, the students that, that are in our care. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, the actual scale of that change, and I, and I think, while we certainly didn't get everything right, inevitably, nonetheless, the success of it has been remarkable and a testament to, to everybody that's been working in that, not least of which educators and students. I couldn't agree more. Just been stunning. And, you know, um, educators everywhere, um, you know, just just have my endless admiration, um, even before the pandemic, um, but certainly afterwards. And I think, you know, in some ways, as awful as it has been and continues to be in, in certain areas, um, it has accelerated us towards a place technologically that is in many ways meeting uh, the needs of humanity and particularly kids. You know, <laughs> you know, we've discovered some super interesting things about about virtual and I'm sure none of these are going to be blinding insights to any of your to any educator, but um, just that. It brings an equity of access that sometimes doesn't show up in face-to-face -face communications, that the shy, the introverted um, are potentially more able to feel um, equal and use the chat function in, a, in very simple terms is, is one simple thing we found. Um, but I'm I'm reminded of um, some work that we did through some of the, the most difficult parts of the pandemic. Um, and um, 
with I, with EIM. And there's a, a story from an art teacher that that um, I hope you won't mind me relaying because it's uh, it's an example of how how we learned as well that there's some real value in this um, in this new space. And she was talking about how um, doing virtual classes, you know, she mir mirrored what she did in the classroom. So she would demo a, a, a new medium and, um, you know, let's say paint a picture. So she's painted the picture and um, and then the class would have a go in live in the classroom. They would then try to paint a picture using that particular medium. And um, and she was just absolutely blown away by the homework that came back that it was just a far higher standard than anything she'd ever seen. And so she asked the students, you know, what they were doing. And of course, they were doing the very thing they can't do live in the classroom, which is pause, rewind and rewatch, which is second nature to digital natives, um, you know, and just and and really helped with their learning, which is just just brilliant. Right. So I'm excited that we can take the best of of face to face interactions, the best of technology um, to to help us solve the big problems that face all of us. So true. And, and I think that's, that's actually one reason why we started this podcast, because we want to to engage in those kinds of conversations. And we recognize there's obviously so much learning that's happened in a very short space of time and acceleration, as you said. Um, and of course, you know, not all of that was as expected. Um, not all of it will be uh, applicable as we hopefully move into a sort of post-pandemic you know, period where schools are open again and face-to-face -face experiences obviously are, are back on the table. But the question for us, I think, and the one that I'm excited about getting into is, well, okay, what did we learn from the online experience and what is what yeah. is most valuable that is an advantage such that you know, from a learning design perspective, we can we can use these different tools now. Once we realise the toolkit's maybe a little bit bigger than it perhaps was pre-pandemic, and of course, how long it might have taken us to all have had those experiences where we realise the toolkit is that much bigger now. And to be fair, even some of the technology itself has obviously developed rapidly during that period. So, your earlier point about you know the, the planning and assumptions that were being made about teaching in an online environment, you know, mirroring effectively what was happening in, in the face-to-face -face world and that just turning out in some cases not to be true and that some of that was negative, of course, and some of it was actually potentially positive as well. And the point about students being able to use chat and so on is, is top of mind there. So I think that's absolutely spot on. Moving slightly off the, the sort of uh, digital transformation piece and the pandemic and just thinking about change leadership in general, mm -hmm. what approaches from your experience do you think uh, are particularly useful or beneficial to leaders, or beneficial, I should say, to leaders in a school environment when leading change? Well, I think if you'll allow me, Crispin, this is probably where I would say I, I don't actually think that the, the stuff that's really useful is that different from one organisation to the next. Um, and like I say, I'm a, I'm a practitioner, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a roll my sleeves up person, um, and I'm, above all, I work with software and by that I mean people <laughs> uh, so those are my, that's my bias if you like um, and so my answer is is definitely coming from from that space but for me like creating effective change is all about making it personal and that goes two ways so the first and probably the most important foundation is is um, for yourself as the leader of that change. Like, why do you want that change? 
Um, and this, this is because if there's any insincerity in it, everyone will smell it a mile off. <laughs> and so, so you've really got to interrogate that as a leader. Why do you want this change? And, 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 and I use the word interrogate and mean it. It's a, it's a deep, long process. And you need to come up with the million different reasons, the million different angles, the, the, implica the downstream implications, um, everything that you can think of. Because um, the next step, which is making it personal for everyone else, will call on all of that work. So it's a really, really important first step. You really have to make it really real for yourself. You know, why do you want it? Um, and it just allows you to speak um, and operate from a position of, um, of authenticity, which is, I think, a, a prerequisite for, for effective change. You know, and then you have to make it personal for everyone else. And this is why it takes so long. So yes, the leadership team, yes, the posters go up, all of those things, um, but it's department meetings, it's cross-functional project team meetings, it is individual team meetings. And in all of those, you're, you know, you're listening more than you're talking, you're listening for the objections, you're listening for the mud in the street, what's the real situation that's, that people are, are encountering, because we can never, ever really know. Um, and and it's, it's deep consultative selling, honestly, you know, is, uh, is a huge part of the process. And as any good consultative salesperson will tell you, it's an awful lot more about listening than it is about talking. It's about asking uh, good questions and, and really listening hard to the answers. And it's only by doing that that you can that you can tailor the mission to everybody's individual um, to what they want out of out of their work, out of their lives. Um, so 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 those really are my 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 big mantras when I have to uh, when I have to, to lead lead change, which is most of the time, truth be told. <laughs> So interesting, Helen. Um, and I think the the personal or the personalization point um, that, that you make is is hugely important there. But one of the challenges I think with that is that obviously when you're talking about change at scale, you know it's hard for for each leader to be involved to be in every one of those conversations. Uh, and that face to face thing can be very powerful, but but quite difficult practically in some cases, especially of course during a, a pandemic period and you know everyone being forced to move online and so on. So I'm just wondering. You know, do you see, and you mentioned a couple of examples of this earlier on, but do you see technology as a force actually that, that can support that, that personalization, support that maybe empathy building, if that's the right word, across these sorts of environments when change at this scale is, is underway? Absolutely. Yes. Um, in fact, we're, we're, we're experimenting um, very specifically with change at scale using technology. We've, um, <laughs> we've developed a... Um, what we call inscape rooms which is really just kind of an immersive experience um online um which which has had some really remarkable results um and there are lots of different environments that that our our fabulous tech team have created um but some of the things we're noticing is that immersive technology can be a very 
quick shortcut to empathy. I think you me you mentioned the word. So it really helps people understand what it's like to be in someone else's skin, someone else's environment, or someone else's job or, or, or shoes. And and as I'm sure you know, it's um, empathising with others is quite often the catalyst for behavioural change um, in and of in and of itself in ourselves we realise that we may actually be part of having an effect on that person um, or that group of people. And so therefore, we, we that discomfort, if you like, um, invites us to, to consider doing something differently next time. And, and I think that's the sort of basic building blocks of what we're talking about. Um, you know, we we work in the behavioural change space um, and it's and but once you scale that up with lots of individuals making lots of incremental small changes, that's how organisations move. And um, and I think, you know, we're, we're going to need everybody with the challenges that we're that we're facing. Um, I also think the other piece about scale is that, you know, look, um, God bless Zoom and all these technologies that allow us to come together um, without impact on the planet. And uh, and the more the more immersive those technologies can become, um, I think the better, because they'll allow our the best parts of our humanity to come through um, <laughs> without, um, while at the same time kind of alleviating the the planet's burden in supporting us. Well, certainly the uh, the sustainability agenda is one you know very close to the core of, of what EIM is. So I, I echo your thoughts on that, uh, and I think the point that you make about the opportunity immersively to build empathy is is a really interesting one in education because so much of of what education has been about historically is is about you know, trying to give students a sense of the world that they're going out into in some respects, but often doing that from, you know, the four walls of a classroom space. And, and of course, that, that can be done wonderfully, but it can also be really challenging. And and with things like immersive technologies now as an opportunity there, I think there's lots of things that, that can perhaps increasingly be done to you know, to accelerate those experiences for students in ways that, as you quite rightly point out, don't require um, necessarily a huge amount of money or a huge amount of um, you know, damage to the planet in terms of you know, flying or, or, or movement. Although, of course, you know, lots of wonderful experiences from an experiential learning perspective you know, to be had as well. So that's probably a, a whole other conversation we, we should have, <laughs> Helen. Um, really, really fascinating conversation today. Uh, I know that there'll be listeners listening to this thinking, you know, how they can get in touch or, or follow what Impact's doing a little bit more closely. So what would you say to them? What's the best way to, to follow Impact in your work? Absolutely. Well, um, please feel free to get in touch. Um, you can email me directly um, at helen.hibbert at impactinternational.com and I would be very glad to hear from you. Um, also on our website, impactinternational.com, you can sign up for our, our regular um, communication, if you like, which is called In Good Company and it's a brilliant roundup of, of short stories and insights from our adult education world and the world of experiential learning and uh, there's always some good stuff in there so so please do feel free to sign up for that otherwise I can I can connect you directly 
Fabulous. And we'll put that uh, in the show notes as well, Helen, so anybody that wants to follow that uh, is able to fairly straightforwardly. Well, look, um, we're really at the end of the conversation today. It's been fabulous. Thank you so much for the insights shared. I'm looking forward to signing up to that uh, that newsletter myself, so I'll be able to follow some of that uh, beyond today. And um, yeah, wish, wish you all the best in the continuing role and, and hopefully have a second conversation around this perhaps um, in a season two, maybe. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me, Chris. So that was Helen Hibbert, Asia CEO of Impact International. Thanks, Helen, for joining us on the podcast and sharing your broad experience in learning, development, and change leadership. Don't forget, you can follow up with Helen via email, the Impact International website, and the regular newsletter linked in the show notes. Until our next episode, thank you for listening, and don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.